Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Alex Holmes. He's an award-winning podcaster and writer from London. He's been hosting and producing podcasts since 2016, including Mostly Lit, which was named by The Guardian and the BBC as one of the top podcasts of 2017, and it won the Best British Podcast Award at the 2018 Awards. He now hosts the brilliant podcast Time to Talk, which focuses on mental health. He also has a book out now, also called Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection. And the book debunks lingering myths around masculinity, love and connection by exploring what causes this sense of loneliness. Sharing his experiences as a young British black man, Time to Talk is a love letter to all the men who have lost their way and to the women that love them. It's a really fantastic book. I learned so much from it and I loved how much he debunks all the man myths in the book. And he encourages us all to open up and share from ignoring to acknowledging, being closed to opening up and changing our avoiding to embracing. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I really enjoy everything that Alex does and we had a really great conversation. So here is the episode. So welcome, Alex, to Control-Alt-Delete. I've been looking forward to this all day. So welcome. Oh, thank you for having me, Emma. It's a huge pleasure to be here, honestly. Oh, thank you. And I've enjoyed coming on your podcast a few times now. So I get to talk to you about you today and not talk about myself, (laughs) which is a treat. dreaded hot seat. (laughs) Look at that. <laughs> I wanted to start off um, before we dive into the book. I loved the book so much and you know how much I did. I sent you my thoughts on it before it came out. Mm. And I think this is a space that you are very much in, obviously, but is going to grow. And I feel like you're very much a thought leader in this space. And we need so many more of these books. Feels like this is the, the start of men talking about love and belonging and connection I had not read a book on those themes by a man before. I don't know if that says something about what's out there or whether I just haven't got that book on my bookshelf yet. But is that kind of a weird thing to say that this this feels like very much a a new thing? It's a very much a new thing with regards to like, you know, black men specifically speaking about this. And um, what I found was that even in just the way that kind of um, black and in, black and indigenous cultures kind of operate with regards to emotions and feelings. They're very tactile people. Love, they love love. They love talking. They love expressing that through music, through food, through very um, big cultures. But the specifics, the boiling it down intellectually, or kind of really articulating what's going on, is something that doesn't really happen in the community. And um, so, yeah, I mean, in the space, it is so new. Um, but there have been there have been loads of men that have spoken about it throughout history. You know, if we want to go back to like Plato's symposium, is it Plato's? But the symposium, um, we've got the ancient Greeks, we've got the the Romans, and we come back down. We've got philosophers all the way through history. We've got all of these guys, and um, it's like they they've. They've been speaking about it for a long, long time. And then for some reason, there's like this big just chasm in culture where like men just don't speak about it. They don't speak about what's going on with them emotionally. You know, there's the whole 
you know, there's a whole stoic ideas that go through, you know, people like men try to lean into that just a bit more because it's like, it's a bit more Marcus Aurelius, a bit more like, you know, um, it's a bit more poetic in that way, that kind of rigid resilience in a sense. But um, then the Allen de Botons of the world speak about it in that way too. But, you know, I do think people are starting to speak about it a lot more, but I think that emotions in general are something that men try to avoid quite a bit um especially just especially with women and um with themselves so it's just kind of like a weird place to be right now but we're looking a lot in culture and society right now about mental health and how that all kind of plays a huge part in 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 like improving mental wellness and emotional wellness and when i think we need to start looking at things specifically now not just as the this wide thing, mental health. Okay. Yeah. So it's such a huge thing. What do you do? Where do you start? Totally. That is so, so well said. And of course, these themes are so universal. And reading your book, it did remind me of those classic books like Meditations and mm. these really, this very vulnerable books on the human experience. And that's why I loved it so much. But it feels strange, that chasm, like you said, that gap in people not talking in this way. And it reminded me of when I first came to feminism in like, I don't know, when I was in my early twenties, I discovered the word. And I felt like I had so many role models of women talking about mental health and body image and our emotions. And I did feel like if I had a son, where would they go? Mm -hmm. I just wondered what, how, who have the role models been in your life? I guess you've mentioned a few there, but where did you go? Because this book is going to be a reference point for a lot of people now, but what was your reference point? Wow. Um, huge. If we, are we talking about um, writers? I suppose being able to be yourself in this way, because this book is very, very open mm -hmm. and very vulnerable. And I just wondered, had anyone impacted you to feel brave enough to go to this place in the book? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> reading reading the book over again, as I said to you earlier, um, before we were recording, I was doing the audio book. And if you are an author, you're trying to escape, a non-fiction author anyway, if you're trying to escape <laughs> the words in your book, you will be confronted yeah. again when you have to read it aloud. <laughs> um, so a lot of stuff came back up for me. And um, I think I'm just a product of my experiences, really. Um, um, I felt like I experienced so much and like half the stuff I've experienced, I didn't even put in the book because it would just be too much of people. It would just look like a stream of consciousness that's just <laughs> gone into this thing. And that's, that's what journals and diaries are for, I suppose. <laughs> but um, uh, reading wise, I did, uh, you know, reading things like Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit. That, okay, let's go back. I actually to what you said i did read a lot of feminist works um feminist and woman and black womanist works just because i knew for a fact that i couldn't go into the places that i wanted to go to without reading and learning and studying from the women who have paved the way for that because you can't just jump into writing about masculinity or around looking at what masculinity is without looking at feminism 
and looking at the intersections of what that means and mass and you know the masculine archetypes and gender and um the politics that go behind it and um a lot of women have created space for that conversation to be had and then for all too often men just go in and be like yeah the mask of masculinity let's just kind of like take that and run with that but there's no kind of conversation behind it about about where it's all come from so yeah that's the con that's the that is the context that i was operating in so it was the tony morrison's um it was the my angelos it was the angela davis says um i was reading a book by um raywin connell called masculinities um, an Australian trans woman and she's a lecturer and she basically broke masculinity down for me in such a way that I thought yes this is what I need I need to know this hegemony the hegemony of it all the, the the high academic language that I can then break down and make sense for myself um, as I said Rebecca Solnitz um, then explained things to me and those are the the women that really kind of stood out to me because then it, it it made it put in context all the all the men i had to put next to it so the james baldwin's the the malcolm x's the um the juno diaz's um and the like and then more contemporary wise it's justin baldoni and um you know a call to men so there's a company called a call to men and um, that's one by tony porter and a man called um ted bunch a ted bunch i had on my podcast and um, just speaking to them and really getting to grips with kind of where they're going with these conversations with men, because um, it's just become this thing where in some pockets of the conversation, it's really just, let's just talk about the men and we're just gonna just ignore the women or ignore the trans people or ignore the non-binary or ignore the queer people. Um, and in some places it's ignore the black people, it's just, and other minorities and different people of different abilities. And then, so I was reading it and I was like, well, the people that I'm actually listening to, they're inclusive of all of these things. They have all of these messages. They have all of these um, lessons and learnings in there. So why wouldn't I learn from these people? And it just gave me a bit more leeway to figure out who to listen to and who not to. And then that gave me the courage to write all the things I wanted to write because I knew where I was coming from. I knew the scholars that had been there before and had kind of yeah. sat there for me and done that. So um, a long answer, but that's where, no, that, where they that came That is from. amazing. And I guess you did used to have a books podcast. Yes. You are a big reader. <laughs> yeah. And for anyone listening, you've just basically got like the best breakdown reading this there before <laughs> yeah. we dive into more. But incredible. Yeah. And you're so right. We all act in relation to each other. We're all part of a community and mm -hmm. we're not just kind of like a single person with no influences. And that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Was it you that shared actually on Instagram the other day on your stories of uh, like a punch in a bathroom wall and it's been framed <laughs> as fragile masculinity <laughs> and I thought they're so oh funny I mean goodness. we're laughing but yeah. obviously it's not funny because yeah. that is what I think of when I think of fragile masculinity like a, a wall being punched but I think what you're doing so amazingly well is digging beneath the surface and all of those many many layers that would have created that punch mm -hmm. and I mean it's where do you start? Where do you start with that? I mean, when we look at masculinity and the fragile, the fragile, the fragile side of it as well, it's like when you overprotect a child and 
overprotecting them and then like well when you're a helicopter parent like they can't fall over they can't they can't do this they can't eat that they can't go there where are you going um, all of that stuff that's what that's what society has done with masculinity and um so when certain men get told they can't do something they just lose control and punch bathroom walls for what reason um i was at uni and i remember the first my first year i was I was in the in a, in halls. Next door to me was a guy, and he was the most fragile man I'd <laughs> ever encountered in my life. Throwing bottles, punching walls, doing all that stuff, and I was just like, "What is going on?" Um, a highly emotional man, and um, when you see that, it's just like it, it's like sad sometimes because at the expense of it, it's women who pay the price for at the expense of it he was in relationships and you know you know when things didn't go his way he would go off in a fit of rage and i would fear for certain certain people in the flat and my my, my room became the safe haven for people it was like this like this I, we, I had this open door policy but it was just it was crazy and um so when i when i see all of that stuff and i think to myself this is this is what a lot of men and masculinity is is going through really and then seeing that more and more often especially when we go on nights out and or we go to bars and sometimes you don't want to be out too late or in proximity with people too often because you never know where it's going to go you never know which man is going to get his ego bruised or someone's going to bump into them or not look at them in the right way or not or reject them or you know and Mm -hmm. what's going to happen so this overprotection of a very small part of of a huge masculine spectrum is being protected. And it's that soul identity that men are holding on to. And it's just like, there are ways that you can free yourself from all of that. Mm-hmm. And one of them being talking. talking. And the title of your book, Time to Talk, is so powerful because mm-hmm. it's not obviously as simplistic as talking about your problems will make them magically go away or anything like that. But it's such an important part of this. And this is such a random example, but I was watching First Dates Hotel last night and there was a guy on there and he he was so buttoned up to the point where he said something like, my, my father died of cancer a few years ago, but you know, these things happen. And, and then he just sort of went on and I I could just tell this was a this was a person who has never ever spoken about the things that hurt him. It was just so like closed, like a closed book. Mm-hmm. And I think your book is is that permission slip for people to to open up. There's loads of men that operate that way, aren't there? That they don't talk. Yeah, um men operate on the basis that they need permission. It's a very um patriarchal way of experiencing things. We've we see we do see it generally in society. Um, now um, I liken it to when you're in the army and you're like permission to speak sir permission to stand sir all that stuff that's the most extreme (laughs) um, more explicit version of it but in general when we go to school we are seeking permission all the time permission to speak permission to think permission to go out permission to come in permission to sit down permission to stand you know all these different things we are doing that we're learning how to behave and um, when it comes to grieving um, like men need to feel like they've given permission, being given permission to feel those things or else they don't feel like they are allowed 
to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've and one of my things is really kind of giving people the like saying that you have permission. It starts with you. Ultimately, you allow yourself to do that. But all the external validation, all the external things come into it, and then that kind of stops us from wanting to do more. Um, women operate communally and it's a lot more collaborative you give each other space to be able to do that and because men Mm -hmm. have never been given this permission when they are in each other's space they take it up (laughs) so it's like we are in we are in a physical space together but emotional space is contained around me (laughs) so you know and then yeah you just start trying to like break through that and really do and be different Um, and that's kind of where I was going with in the book just to say all right it's hard yes and we acknowledge that speaking is hard because sometimes you don't know how to communicate and it's hard to really kind of put all your thoughts together into a nice coherent little thing that you want to send out but life's messy sometimes what you're going to say is going to be messy and it's going to be just blurted out but say what it is um, and create that space of safety for you to then be able to kind of express in that way totally because i think there's a generalization or maybe a truth in it that when men go to the pub for example in general they'll come back home and their girlfriend will say oh how's thingy like did you did you find out about his sister who did that thing and (laughs) or like what did you talk about and then they'll just be like i don't know we just like had a pint and watched something on the tv screen in the pub or something and obviously that's probably unfair to people listening who don't always do that no, but mm-hmm. there is a truth i think in like they're like digging underneath that layer can be mm-hmm. quite hard for men in a group i mean obviously you have loads of great friends and people on the podcast that you reference in the book who you you guys like have such great chats on there have you always had that those people around you or did you have to go seeking out better friends oh no 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 <laughs> i spent ages ages trying to curate like the friends i had around me and the people I had around me um uh, you know in the book i go into talking about different uh, there's a bit on friendships and i was just like i i was in groups trying to kind of like find people that I could be vulnerable with. I mean, every group I go into, I'm the most vulnerable person. I'm just like, guys, today I'm feeling da 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 And some people will be like, okay, let's talk about that. The friends I have now will definitely be like, let's talk about that. Where, where are you at? What's going on? The friends I had before, it was very much like, hands off. Let's like, all right, focus on like the material things or focus on the external. They never said that, but essentially where they were coming from was, we don't want to go there with you. And um, because going there, everybody becomes frightened of where it ends up and what it says about them and where it takes them. Um, And a lot of men find that as a distraction, especially if you're kind of conditioned to go out, get money, provide, be stoic, you know, be emotionless, be solid, not wobbly in any way, not squiggly in any way, not soft in any way or wet anywhere. Um, when that's the case, you just kind of like, you just end up becoming a shell of yourself, really. And that's what I, where I was for a lot of the time. I was deeply unhappy. And um, so, you know, having to go out and really just kind of 
really be intentional about the friends I'm making, the kind of people that I wanted around me. Um, and I think your mid twenties, you're, you're kind of your mid twenties are like a space. It's like a really weird time because you are kind of making essentially friends for life in that decade. Um, and by the time you get to your late twenties, you've kind of got like a, a well, you should essentially probably depending on who you are, but and what your life path is. But for me, I was like, I got to the end of it. Well, I mean, my last year, my twenties, got to the end of it. And um, I have my core friendships, I have them. Um, and obviously I've got friends. Um, it's just a matter of just kind of knowing what I can bring to the table and knowing who can support me in that way. And then we can move forward. So I'm excited to see what, what 30s brings, but, um, you know, um, the early stages, it was really difficult trying to find out who was there for me, who wasn't, and everybody's on their own kind of path and whatnot. But um, I had to be very intentional about the kind of men I wanted around me, the kind of support I needed, um, the kind of women I wanted around me and the kind of support mm -hmm. I could give them. Because I feel like, you know, society does kind of position women as the people of service all the time, especially two men. And I'm just like, no, like, how can I be of service to you? Like, how can I help you sort of thing? And how can we help each other? And that's kind of the way I tend to operate in the way that I go. So yeah, like it was a lot. It was, it was a lot of me sitting in my room, kind of doing a lot of mental gymnastics, trying to figure out what was going on with me. I'm really glad that you touch on friendship in the book. And I remember reading a book a while ago that said that if you're not being yourself, really truly yourself, you'll never actually find your proper friends. Oh, yeah. And that really spooked me. I was like, okay, I actually really need to make sure I'm being completely truthful because I don't want to end up with the wrong people around me. And actually you attract the right people when you're kind of just being you. Yeah. But um, talking about sort of intentional life design and like making sure that you're surrounded by the right things. I wanted to just touch on your career really quickly because I think people reading this book would be surprised that you used to work in tabloids, like <laughs> such a, not, not a very vulnerable or welcoming place in general. Yes. Yeah. Um, how was that transition for you? Cause I, I genuinely think that's really inspiring mm. and to, pe to people listening who might be just in a, in a setup that isn't gelling with them. Um, you've made that change. That's really cool. So you're asking the change from tabloid out into kind of who I am. Yeah. And, and the path to this book, I suppose, like you've really gone on a journey with your career in the last few years. Yeah. I think I learned a lot about vulnerability, ironically, within the tabloid space, just because it just wasn't there. <laughs> like, um, But, you know, being a news reporter and having to kind of um, knock on people's doors and speak to people who have recently lost, you know, a son, um, a daughter's gone missing, um, a relative has died or various different things. And, um, or even like, even interviewing people about their wins and kind of where they've, where they've been and where they're going and their kind of story. Um, was so empowering for me because I was like, I got to really get to know because it was so counter to the training I'd had. Everything was like, the training said, everything's black and white. 
news is news. Um, the story is the story. Get it, <laughs> sort of thing. Like we need the story, and it's the editorial line. You follow that, and um, do whatever it takes to get the story. Um, we're not going to tell you what you need to do to get the story, but do whatever you do whatever it takes. Wink, wink. So I was like, okay. Um, but actually sitting down with some of these people, I ended up kind of learning so much about them. Like when I worked on in a, in a local paper in South London. Um, South London Press, I was really kind of with the local people and really trying to figure out what was really impa- impacting them, where their where their hearts were, where their intentions were. And then watching that kind of marry up against the local politic of what was going on, I was like, there's such a big disconnect here, what's happening? Um, all of that stuff. Working on the national paper was very interesting because it was like, how is how is this spinning the the wider conversation that's going on across the UK and all these different stuff? And um, yeah, and then coming out of that was important for me because I found myself being way too connected, way too, I felt like I was way too connected to the stories and to the people and the kind of stories that they wanted me to write, I wasn't doing. So there was a, a real kind of um, schism in between myself and the organizations because I was trying to get to the heart of stuff and they wanted to just, you know, the the, the bottom line was get the story and it just wasn't working for me. Um, and, you know, people within there were like, you know, man up and um, you've got to become tougher. You've got to do all of this, all of that stuff. You can't be, you know, um, soft. You can't be gentle. You can't do all of those things because you're not going to get what we need to get. We need to get a rough, rugged, powerful thing. And I was just like, this doesn't make any sense because these are people's lives we're dealing with. If I if I report this story wrong or slightly inaccurate because you want the the you know the top line, what does it do for them? I had way too much concern for the subjects and I did, and they didn't like it. So mm. yeah. so interesting, isn't it though, that we all have a superpower and yeah. it doesn't always have to line up with the traditional, like, yeah, being loud or being abrasive or being, yeah, tough. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there's lots of books out at the moment about the power of being an introvert and how, you yeah, know, historically yeah. we always had to like go into the boardroom with the blazer on. And actually it's really, you can get a lot of work done being a quiet, soft individual. Yeah. But I feel like you're kind of um, really leading the the charge as well on self-compassion mm-hmm. and just being more compassionate. Would you be able to talk a little bit about that and how much of a role that plays in your work and your life? Because mm-hmm. I've learned a lot from you in that space of just being not only kinder to other people, but just kinder to myself, I guess. Right, yeah. Um, wow. So I started um, delving into self-compassion um, when I started opening myself up to different elements of spirituality. Um, Started looking into Zen Buddhism um, because I love being calm. I just don't like chaos. It's just not me. I just like, you know, my ideal landscape is a mountaintop or a mountain or a forest or something where I can just be with nature and just hear things like, crickets or rivers rivers running or animals or whatnot. So that's kind of just me. I love calmness. But I was looking into Zen Buddhism and I was looking into their tenets and, you know, one of the first tenets of Buddhism is that, um, you know, everybody suffers. Suffering is 
natural. That's just kind of what happens. So get that off the bat. So I started looking into that, um, reading things like um, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, reading The Art of Living, and he's got like loads of different little books that go as well. Reading Kristen Neff, who actually has a book called um, Self-Compassion. Um, and what I discovered in that is that self-compassion is being able to consider yourself your greatest cheerleader and friend and companion and just best person. Do you know what I mean? Like um, at the end of workouts, I do some um, some home workouts. At the end of it, I um, say, pat yourself on the back. And I sit down, I sit down and I pat myself and I'm like, yeah, well done. You got up, you got up out of bed because you didn't have to. You got on the floor, you did You did this, you know, high intensity workout thing, making so much noise in your house. Like you're, I'm, I'm tall, so, you know, risking concussion and various things in the room. And you did it, you did it. And you can feel good about doing that. And actually sitting down and talking to yourself in that way, encouraging yourself in that way, being able to be there for you in that way is so empowering. And um, there's a slight difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. Um, the self-esteem, it kind of predicates that it's based on the idea of other people validating your self-worth. So, you know, everyone, people grew up that oh, I had low self-esteem. My mom put me down. My dad put me down. Friends did this, da, 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 da. You have this low sense of self, this low self-esteem. Um, and when you have a great self-esteem, just because people essentially built you up and they kind of said, you did this, da, 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 da. And what it does, it leads way for, you know, on the extremes, it leads way for kind of narcissistic behavior. It leads ways for really kind of um, self um I, would, I want to say self-flagellating behavior, but there might be a better word for that. Um, but word, but like, you know, bringing yourself down. And um, the self-compassion is being able to go within and really be there for you. Treat yourself as if you would treat a friend. How would you, if you saw your friend crying, sitting on sitting on, a, on your doorstep um, after a breakup, um, after failing their exams, losing their job, um, you know, after something really devastating happens to them, what are you saying to them? How are you showing up for them? And the key things that I've been really working with and working on, especially in building um, a practice of kind of working with other men and trying to work with other people about how we can kind of build people up, is really about showing up for ourselves and what that means to show up for yourself. How we yeah. how we arrive, you know, um, I, I liken it to when you're, um, you know, when you're on a plane, and air hosts, air hosts are like, you know, exit left, exit right, back, back to this really nice rehearsed stuff. But they also say, you know, it, you know, we've all heard it. It's like, put your mask on before you put on your child's mask because you need to be in a good state <laughs> in order for you to help that person. Um, another thing, you know, you can't pay your over, you can't pay your rent with your overdraft if you keep going into your overdraft like so where is all of that coming from and i think it does start with self-compassion it starts with filling yourself up with all of that with that self-love that self-care that self-appreciation and then then when you're full you know how much you can give to so many people you can give so much more to people because yeah. you'll really know where you're at and what you and what you can bring to the table i love that i love that and I really have been working on that inner critic 
voice oh, toning it down a little bit i'm still working and on these things like i'm I'm there every day i have to be i have to make it a, con- a conscious thing now but um and really move into it but i do talk to myself a lot and it's, it's hard it's hard work yeah, it's so hard yeah. something that i've noticed recently which is kind of weird that i'm saying but i'm going to share it anyway is um <laughs> my sister has a very similar voice to me like on voice note you wouldn't be able to tell us apart and it's funny because like i love her so much and we, we've, we're very similar and sometimes when I'm doing something I'm like well if if I think I sound stupid or something I'm like well I wouldn't think she sounded stupid mm. so I don't know I'm able to kind of I don't know see how I'm treating myself very directly to how I would treat her mm-hmm. or my friend or whatever and mm. it's really helping so you, you're, you're saying what you sound like sounds stupid or what you said kind of both oh, okay but yeah. then I'm like Actually, if someone else said that, I wouldn't. Ju- I wouldn't judge them one mm. bit. So yeah. yeah, it's just good to do that. Yeah. Like if I'm saying like, "Oh, you've had a really crap writing day today," and I imagine her saying it, I'm like, I wouldn't say anything mean to her. I'd say keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's okay to be like, "Yeah, well, today was trash, but it's cool." Like, what, what you know, yeah. what I mean, just like close the book or turn the laptop off, like turn off the yeah. Zoom camera, and just be like, "I'm gonna." go for a walk I'm gonna sit on my bed and kind of watch TV and think you know it's okay to say those things to yourself because you're because you have to give yourself it's very comforting if you were to like oh well I have to continue doing it until I make it perfect and it has to be correct and I have to do perfection doesn't exist so you'll just be striving against this thing that doesn't that won't work for you and you'll just burn yourself out and it'd be tiring totally my life coach that I worked with last year said to me she was like you sound sometimes you sound like you're punishing yourself and it's a bit weird and I was like oh yeah I am (laughs) like I'm like slapping myself on the wrist being like do more um but I wondered before I move on to a question about your roller skates which I'm very excited to ask you about um do you think the last year of everything and and this is something I've been thinking about we we've been talking about this stuff for for a while Mm -hmm. but don't you think that last year and this year and the heaviness of certain events politics covid pandemic has made maybe people go even more down this route i I feel like stronger actually Mm -hmm. after this year mentally i think that people have been sitting with themselves a lot and they've had to figure out whether they like who they're sitting with or not because um, they were forced to. Um, and um, that's one way. Another way is, you know, we are looking around at our immediate environments and deciding whether it's something, it's a, it is where we want to be and it is what we want to do. I think what it's, I, you know, I call it the downtime. Everybody had a bit of downtime it was like a, it was like a parent. I think that's what that's what COVID was like. A parent that said, "All right, everybody, yeah, in your rooms now. I don't want to hear any arguments. Yeah. Get in there." <laughs> and you're just like, and there's people that are outside in the street and do whatever and then whatever, you know. But it's like, I think people are becoming a bit more, a bit more mindful of things. They are kind of looking at looking around, they've had no, they've had no choice but to focus. Um, it's been hard for a lot of people. It's been very difficult for a lot of people. I've had friends who found it very difficult, who are, you know, typically extroverts and are kind of, um, 
you know, really love being around people and um, who don't really have great home environments and things like that of that nature. And my heart goes out to them every single time because they've struggled. They themselves, the ones I know, have struggled so much. Um, and everybody's life has kind of been turned upside down. Parents have had to do a, a lot of stuff. It's just, yeah, I, could, I, I feel, I felt the heaviness going around. Um, but yeah, I think people are spending a lot more time thinking about this stuff. Um, and, but my one fear is that people, it's like, it's like everybody's trying to kind of, it's kind of like say, oh yeah, well that happened. I thought about it. Now it's fine. I'm I went out back outside again. Let's just kind of continue down the way that we were continuing. And I, you know, that that is a huge fear of mine because, you know, people are, people are wanting to go back to something that didn't necessarily work in the first place. And, um, you know, and you know, like you're someone who's been speaking about kind of hyphenating your life and really changing the way that you work and looking at and future-proofing the way that you do things and, you know, working from home remotely, all of that stuff. You've been speaking about this for years and for ages. And it's like, all of a sudden, if companies will just be like, all right, back to the office now, back to this, back to that, or, you know, governments are like, you know, all right, everybody get back out there, get back into X, Y, and Z. It's just, it's just not going to (laughs) work. It's just not going to work. It's, it's fascinating time actually to be in with, and I totally agree with you. There's so many learnings that I really want to take forward into my life forever now. Mm. And I really hope that the distractions of the world don't pull me back into some of that stuff. It's like, obviously not the same as this, but it's like when some of the Buddhist monks leave and and the, and their teachers are like, don't get sucked into the material world. <laughs> and it's like, I want obviously a balance of, material world and and being more zen yeah but yeah i hope we take forward the lessons big time yeah i mean i think you know it's going to be down to people like you and i just continuing to kind of keep push these things i suppose and Mm. there are a lot of people who are kind of taking a taking a hard left on their careers now based on this and their families and what they want to do uprooting and going elsewhere because why not? Um, and I just, I just really hope that we become kinder to one another. And I think that my dad was like, oh, you want everybody to live in this utopia and everybody's just kind of like saying, how do you do to each everybody as well down the street? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't so long ago that people actually said hi to people in the streets. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not so far removed from things. Um, but for <laughs> me, it's just, it's just like, I just really would like there to just be a, general kind of understanding that we've all been through a really weird moment yeah you know like i was in london the other day and it just felt like (laughs) it just felt like everybody was just doing their thing again and i'm just like we've all kind of been through this stuff like why is it so hard to just not you know just to smile at somebody or just to nod or just to kind of be like i see that you're outside well done. Like, <laughs> I see that you're here at this point of the yeah. pandemic. Well done. Like, you you know, but anyway. Um, it's true. Cause I, I, part of me was like, oh, I don't want to talk about COVID like the whole time on the podcast, but I was like, mm-hmm. I can't not talk about it. This is our lives. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, you know, I, have to, I don't want to gloss over it. So mm-hmm. anyway, thank you for that. That's really, this is such a useful episode and you, you give so, so much. You give 
a lot to mm-hmm. people. And um, I guess my next question is kind of following on from that. Mm-hmm. How have you been kind of having time for yourself? I know that you've you posted a picture of you on your skates in the park and it made me so happy to see it. And I've been thinking a lot about how I want to lighten up a bit and have more fun because I am very serious as a person, like a lot of the time at the moment, I feel, because I'm just thinking about the world. But joy and happiness and and being on your roller skates is just as important. So anything on that that you can share with us that you've learned or you're doing? The stuff that we do and the kind of things that I'm kind of like exposed to a lot and the things I'm learning about every day. And, and, you know, I work a lot with emotions and I see a lot of things and I feel a lot of things and it can be, it can be a lot. I mean, I had a heavy chest for like two weeks. Um, But one of the things that I found was really great was getting into this, getting back onto skates. I hadn't skated um, I skating was like the first thing I did before I actually went to the clubs when I was younger. I started skating at 16 and um, we used to go to like roller parties and stuff and there was loads of music. It was great. There were adults and everything was fine and we were just learning. It was more about learning how to skate and skate well and being in a community with that thing. And then I stopped when I went to university. And so for like 10 years, I hadn't really skated. So getting back onto it was kind of, it was like this reconnection with my younger self, but also knowing that I'm older and um, I, I, I can actually dedicate like at least an hour a day if I wanted to or a week just to kind of practice how to kind of like skate well, you know, like just to do something that doesn't, you know, I think when you get into the, um, you know, someone that can just kind of do many things, you don't like it. When you have a hobby, it's like people kind of, you get worried that any hobby that you do is going to have to be something that's going to have to be made into a brand or a, or a thing that you do that can be commodified and all this different stuff. And sometimes I just wanted to just, I wasn't even going to post that up. I was going to just like, just skate by myself. And I thought, let me put it up just because I'm going for my camera roll and I want to share something. And I figured that that yeah. was there. And, um, but it was just nice. You don't have to build a TikTok you don't, account you don't have to build around a, skating. You don't have to build a roller skate TikTok account. I don't have to do all of that. I don't have to. Like, it's just not what I want to be doing. But I did want to be able to be doing something outside of just writing and, you know, my my training that I'm doing. And um, and reading and all that stuff. So I just wanted to get outside, put the skates on, go to a car park and just practice moving from left to right because <laughs> why not yeah you know i love it um but I it's good it. it's good to get into the body um it's good to get into the body it's good to get into play and really kind of reconnect with ourselves and who we are 100 percent can be so easy to just be a brain yeah. in a jar yeah. <laughs> i'm definitely doing trying to get out more so i love that and um i guess my one final question a very short question and a short answer from you just what are you hoping people get from the book? What's like the one thing you just hope people get? That it's okay to be brave, courageous, and kind and stay encouraged. It's for anybody who needs that kind of message in their life, really. Yeah. But yeah. Such a great book, such a great podcast. Oh, thank you. Everyone listening, go and get time to talk. I've left a link in the show notes, get it from an independent bookstore listen to Time to Talk podcast, go and follow Alex on Instagram. He posts such amazing, uplifting things that we all need right now. 
and you're just a great thinker and a great person oh, and thank you. glad to know you. Uh, and likewise, you Emma, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>